What's going on, everyone? And welcome into another edition of B Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. Evening hours of Monday, March 6th, 2023. Yes, it's been a minute since we've spoken. Appreciate you guys for jumping back on the horse here with me. Last 10 days or so, I've had a family member in the hospital. And things are looking a little better now this week, but last week was a rough one for me. And so that is my explanation for why y'all have not heard from me in a while. It had been a pretty difficult week and then took a few days to decompress earlier this week. And now we're back. And given the layoff, there's probably a lot of stuff we missed, but I'm going to kind of keep it present. Let me know if there are topics that you still want me to touch on. I know... uh, about a week and a half ago, I said, hey, Paul DeYoung episode's coming. We're going to talk about Paul DeYoung and, and maybe the impact I think he realistically can have, what the Cardinals are expecting, etc. cetera. Uh, we're getting more data points, obviously, on him and the rest of the Cardinals uh, since I made that statement about 10, 12 days ago with spring training. Grapefruit League play is well underway now, and so we're learning things every day. But I want to keep it present for today's episode and talk about what's going on with the team now. We've got some hitters to talk about. One in particular is a guy we've already spent some time talking about on the podcast, but his performance in spring thus far merits further consideration and discussion. So we're going to get into it. Jordan Walker is uh, trying to force the Cardinals' hand this spring in including him on the opening day roster. We'll talk about what we think of his performance so far, what could potentially be available to him if he continues this performance in terms of a spot on the roster. And then I want to talk about some pitching stuff as well from specifically Monday as the Cardinals had, yeah, three different guys who dealt with significant injuries last season on their pitching staff. All three of them pitched in Monday's game against the Astros. All three of them looked pretty good. And so we'll talk about expectations for guys like Jack Flaherty, guys like Steven Matz who came into Monday's game, and Drew Verhagen. I've been tweeting about him a little bit, but I'm going to talk about him here today, and that'll be something to look forward to. And Tink Hentz, we're going to bring up as well because he pitched on Monday. So just getting a little bit back into the weeds on some of these guys. At Shaper 12 on Twitter, if you've got Cardinals questions, topics you want me to explore, we're going to be going full speed ahead into the season now is the plan the rest of the way. Again, apologies for being gone for about a week and a half, but... Uh, that was the explanation. Spent a lot of hours in the hospital. Did a lot of puzzles in the in the hospital over there at St. Luke's. So that's the deal. Let's hop in on some Cardinals conversation tonight. Let's start in the most fun place that you could possibly hope to start, and that's Jordan Walker. Um, I had said, I don't know if I said it on B-Shape Daily or if I said it on KTGR on the big show or maybe I tweeted it, but sort of my mantra for Jordan Walker coming into the spring has been, all right, you look at the competition we know the Cardinals have hyped up the nature of the competition there in the outfield but there's a lot of names right and so for Jordan Walker to crack his way in and enforce the Cardinals to make a roster decision of the ilk that they typically don't make right they they typically don't in in past springs where maybe you say oh this guy would be one of their best 26 if we're being really honest with ourselves but there's this roster crunch and a 40 man and a don't want to have to DFA a guy, don't want to lose his rights, don't want to expose him to waivers. Like, all of those things historically have been considerations for past Cardinals teams. And I think there have been cases where you could say, ah, that guy's probably one of their best 25 or best 26, but he's not breaking camp with the team. Or maybe in the middle of the season, 
guys beating down the door at AAA and you say, ah, they're going to have to wait until they make a decision about the major league team. Who's going to get DFA'd? What's going to happen? And so in the past, that's kind of how they've operated. I've said that because of that precedent, Jordan Walker is going to have to have an Albert Pujols 2001 type of spring training to force the issue with the Cardinals and make them make a decision. Well, it's early in spring training, but he is certainly having those types of performances and those types of games to potentially set up that situation. Saturday, he goes four for four with two home runs in the Cardinals Grapefruit League game. Uh, Yeah, he's turning heads. I'm looking here on his MLB.com player page. I believe this is hopefully updated as of this evening. I have no reason to believe that it wouldn't be. As long as it is, Jordan Walker's nine for 21, three home runs, six RBIs, six runs scored this spring. That's a 429 average. Uh, I guess he hasn't taken any walks. His OBP is also 429, but hey, he, he didn't come down here to walk. He came down here to show what he could do at the plate, right? Walks are part of his game. Getting on base is going to be part of his game. But right now, I love that he's just swinging the bat. I love it. He's OPSing 1429. His slug is 1,000 after 21 at-bats for Jordan Walker this spring. That's awesome. That is so exciting. Because, listen, like we have hyped up Jordan Walker as much as we possibly can. Right? And probably to... You'd say to his detriment, but I don't think he's the kind of young man who is going to be impacted by what's being said about him or about his future or his present or his playing abilities or anything of that nature. I just don't, I I really do. If you listen to him talk and you, you hear the way he describes going about his business and what he wants to focus on, I, I tend to believe him when he says, yeah, I, I can tune that stuff out and I'm just going to focus on me, focus on my process, focus on what I do. I think, that what you hear is really what you're getting with Jordan Walker. It's not just lip service. I think he's capable of that. I think he's mature beyond his years. He's just 20 years old, but I think he carries himself in such a way that it makes sense that he's knocking on the door of major league baseball at 20. We've seen that more and more with some guys uh, across the league in recent years, the Braves, it seems like have one or two of those guys that are 21 years old or so come up every year. You know, last year, Vaughn Grissom, Michael Harris, those were two young guys that Atlanta brought up. It's just more common. I feel like that, Guys advance quickly through the system. They're given opportunities by organizations to do so. Cardinals historically maybe have not done that quite as much. But then again, you always have to say, well, the the other side of that coin is, do you have a player that's worthy of that sort of rapid advancement through the system? Do you have that type of prospect? And I would say outside of Dylan Carlson, the Cardinals really haven't. They tried it out with him, to their credit, in, in 2020. Uh, when Dylan was was just 21 years old, that was his age 21 season, and they gave him opportunities that year. It was a slow sort of progress for him. It was a learning curve for Carlson, and you see that with young players at times, and it's to be expected. But with Jordan Walker, it's like, man, everywhere this guy has gone, he's succeeded. He's never really had to deal with prolonged periods of failure, and it's almost like you'd love to see what would happen if he got a, a, a few weeks even of, of struggling because then he'd have to make adjustments, right? And at the big league level, that is what's going to happen. It's inevitable. He's not just going to walk out and be Albert Pujols, right? Almost certainly he's not going to do that like Albert did as a rookie, a 21-year-old rookie in 2001, whatever age he was. That's just those are once-in-a-generation type of players, and, and maybe not even every generation gets an Albert Pujols, right? He's one of the best right-handed hitters, maybe the best in the history of Major League Baseball, all things considered. So 
no, I don't expect Jordan Walker to waltz in on March 30th or whatever the date of opening day is and and be Albert Pujols and be rookie of the year as a shoe-in and contend for MVP. Like, I don't expect these things, but it's getting hard. <laughs> it's getting harder to temper expectations because he just continues to thrive. And so let's try to put on our, our realism caps here for a moment when it comes to Jordan Walker. First of all, we'll reiterate some of the the facts we've regurgitated about him so far. He's never played a game in AAA. He's only ever advanced to AA. He did so last year. It was his age 20 season. But remember, he started that triple, that AA season down in Springfield at age 19. I believe he played a handful of games at age 19 before he turned 20 last May. His numbers at Springfield, and when you look on the baseball reference page, the average age of that AA Texas League, I believe it's still the Texas League that Springfield plays in, Average age differential was minus 4.3. That means that the average age of the competition against which Jordan Walker was faring was about 24 and a half years old, and he was not that. He was much younger than that, and so that's where you get that age differential. He had great numbers, and again, hasn't even ever really flashed as a power guy yet, but still hit 19 home runs, which if you had a full slate of major league games, or I should say minor league games, only played 119 because he's in the minors, but if you if you pencil that in for about 150, like he'd get at the big league level, it's a good pace, probably 25 home run pace, close to it. Had 22 steals. I don't really expect the stolen base numbers to stay when he gets to the big leagues. I think that's going to be more like a, like a Paul Goldschmidt in his early days when he was just such a good base runner that he would, decent enough foot speed, he would come up with stolen bases and I think he had several years where he was in the like 20s or so in stolen bases. I'd have to check. He, he's had some impressive years in his past. He hasn't really done it as much with the Cardinals. But I think that's the type of base runner Jordan Walker will be. I'm not going to focus too much on the stolen bases, but 22 last year with Springfield. Everybody kind of runs in the minors because you might as well. That's that's just part of the deal. don't think he's going to be a big threat there in the majors, but the 19 home runs, I think that could go up. And then you just look at how complete of a hitter he is. 306 batting average. Remember, at age 19 and 20. Facing 24, 25-year-olds. 388 on base percentage. Took his walks. Struck out 116 times. I don't think that's a too big of a flaw. Everybody strikes out this day and age. Uh, 510 slugging. Again, not even deriving a lot of that from home runs. He had 31 doubles and three triples. It's not like he was slugging 510 because he hit 30 dingers and they were, you know, everything else was just not substantial. Not a, He's a complete hitter. Doubles, a few triples, he'll homer. He's going to probably grow into his power even more at the big league level. That's sort of my expectation. We'll see. But the balance and the completeness of him as a hitter is what impresses me so. 898 was his OPS last year, and then he goes to the Arizona Fall League and improves upon that for a 925 OPS. Again, 286 average, good on base, slugged even more. That's where maybe a little bit more of that power started to come in. You've seen already this spring three home runs from Jordan Walker in those 21 at-bats. So, I mean, if he's tapped into that power and, and he's talked about growing beyond what he's listed on the on the team site, I, they've got him listed at 6'5", 220. He says maybe more like 6'6", six, six, and, and maybe a few more poundage on top of the the weight of 220 that's listed on the team site. He's like John Carlos Stanton's size, guys. So, I mean, it's very difficult to pump the brakes, but we, we should... 
for his own benefit and like to be fair to Jordan Walker, we should pump the brakes a little bit because never played triple A. But we're seeing unprecedented stuff out of him. So it's worth getting excited about for sure. I do want to see the rest of spring, what ends up happening. But if these are his numbers, if he hits 400 for the spring and and OPS is, you know, over 1,000, he's at 1429 right now for the OPS. Like if those end up being his spring numbers, it's going to mean quite a few more home runs, some doubles. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch him in the over the next few weeks. But if that ends up being the case, he's got to make the team. Right. And so that is where we sort of shift into discussing the challenge of like, how do the Cardinals respond to that? Because they are leaning into giving him this opportunity. If they were of the mind, like in the past where, yeah, we'll see, we're going to give him some opportunities. And then maybe he, he goes to the minor leagues for some more seasoning until we can figure out who we're getting rid of or who we're trading or who's going to get injured. That allows him to, to find a spot. If they were playing it that way, they wouldn't be leading him off, leading him off and batting him second and, and giving him all of these outfield opportunities. Like He's playing a, a pretty good amount, and he's prominently featured in their lineup. I'm, it's just signs to me that they're giving him every opportunity to take this job. And that's different from the way I guess we expected them to treat it because when we talked all offseason on B-Shape Daily about kind of the logjam of position players. A lot of that's in the outfield, and it didn't get addressed. They didn't They didn't make those minor to, to medium-sized moves that we thought maybe the roster could use to have a little bit of a better fit to the puzzle. Do I think Tyler O'Neill could have a good year? Sure. Dylan Carlson? Sure. He homered on Monday from the left side, by the way, against a right-handed pitcher. That was very good to see. I think D.C. could have a very good year. I think Lars Newpar is going to have a very good year. Uh, he went two for three for uh, Team Japan in an exhibition they did over there, heading up the World Baseball Classic. Shohei Otani had two home runs in the game, and Lars Nupar has taught Shohei Otani how to grind the pepper. The uh, the celebration that Lars brought to the Cardinals last year, he's brought it now to Team Japan. It's gone international, and there's video on Twitter uh, of, of Shohei doing the, doing the grind the pepper deal. So... A lot of Cardinals fans right away said, well, that means that Lars is recruiting him, and when Shohei Otani becomes a free agent, he will be a future Redbird. I don't know about that, but it was very cool to see Shohei Otani. I mean, that was kind of just like the weird Cardinals cult thing last year. Probably not a ton of people nationally knew about it. More and more people are finding out about Lars Newtbar this offseason because he's getting a lot of pub, getting some love, getting conversation on MLB Network. The fans put him as the number four right fielder right now in MLB, All that, all those kinds of things are happening for Lars Nupar and around Lars Nupar. So nationally, I think people are starting to, to learn a little bit more about him. But it, now it's international. I mean, he his celebration, random grind the pepper celebration, has now gone to Team, team Japan, and Shohei Otani, of all people, is using it. So that's kind of cool. Kind of a fun little tidbit there. But my point with all this is, do I think all these outfielders could have good seasons? Sure. Okay, so then where's the opportunity? Maybe there's a, a, a fourth outfielder that could, you know, kind of be the DH on most days. Well, Nolan Gorman is a guy that they're going to be looking at pretty closely for more opportunity. Oh, could he play second? Well, what about Brendan Donovan, who's having a pretty great start to the spring? You can see what I'm saying. Like, there's just a logjam here to where if it would be easier if Jordan Walker needed more seasoning. If, like, he genuinely needed more seasoning, it'd be easier for the Cardinals because they'd be able to justify it and say, well, that's fine because we really don't have a spot for him anyway as of right now. So this kind of works out. But that's not seeming to be the case. The case seems to be that he's, again, 
Not saying, not declaring, but with what we're seeing so far, there's a decent chance that this guy should just be on the opening day roster. We'll let it play out the rest of the spring for sure. But come on now. He's doing some pretty great things. And if that keeps up, don't we think the his presence could help the Cardinals win games beginning at the end of March, going into April? Yeah. And so the logjam on the roster is what makes it a little bit tricky because the three guys I named, O'Neill, Carlson, and Newpar, they're healthy. That's kind of your your projected starting outfield. You've got the infielders, Juan Yepes, I didn't even mention his name, somebody that's going to be fighting for DH time for sure. And Jordan Walker, could he DH? I think he could. I, I don't think the Cardinals will kind of have the same rule that they had with Gorman last year where they said we wanted to play the field every day. No, I think if the bat for Jordan Walker dictates his inclusion in the lineup, they'll just figure it out. Even if he, you know, doesn't develop so much as a, as an outfielder as quickly, if the bat is going to be rookie of the year caliber, you want that on your roster and in your everyday lineup. So I, I think they're going to be a little bit more open-minded about that if, again, the bat continues to dictate there. But there are just a lot of names, right? Because we haven't mentioned uh, Alec Burleson, who's another outfielder that they can send him down, but... He was on top 100 prospect lists at times throughout the last season. And he's worked hard in the offseason, too. And, uh, yeah, he might get passed by Jordan Walker, but it's just it does become a little bit of a crunch where you're like, wow, we've, we've, there's a lot of guys that do somewhat similar things, depending, and, and some of them are switch hitters, and some of them are from the right side and left side. And you've got a mixture in that regard. But I, it just does feel like a, a vast number of people. The volume of names is substantial. And so it would take Jordan Walker just being head and shoulders above all of them to say, all right, it would just not be right if we sent him to the minor leagues because we think he can help us. Is that going to be easy to project off of a spring training when he's never played in AAA? I don't really worry too much about that. If he looks good at the major league level in spring, I think that would be enough for me. AAA, AA, I mean, the gap is smaller than it once was. The gap to the big leagues is still uh, there. It still exists. It's still big. But... Certain guys are able to circumvent that, and, and Jordan Walker may be one of them. So going to keep an eye on what he's doing, obviously, the rest of the spring, and, and we'll continue to react accordingly as time goes on. If you've got other Cardinals position players, other hitters that you would like me to discuss on future episodes, let me know at Schaefer 12 on Twitter. We'll try to get into as much of it as is relevant, as much as we can, and there might be guys that are sometimes off the radar that you say, hey, let me know what you think about this guy, even though he didn't go four for five yesterday at spring. Like, I'm curious about this guy, and we'll get into it. But let's switch over to the pitching side of things for right now because there were some interesting performances that I think drew some attention, rightfully so, from Monday for the Cardinals on the pitching side. You look at the first three guys that came into the game for St. Louis in that that 7-1 win over the Astros on Monday, all three of them had 2022 seasons hampered by injury. And to different degrees, the Cardinals were expecting contributions from those guys, uh, starting with Jack Flaherty who, yeah, they expected some major contributions from Jack and clearly did not get those contributions due to the injuries. And then when he came back, it was like, did they rush him back? Is it, you know, what's the situation there? And then this spring, hadn't seen him. Today was the first time he pitched in a Grapefruit League game, and that was concerning to a lot of people because they're like, well, what's taking so long? Has there been a setback? And it was various things. And I people would ask me, are you nervous about it yet? And I said, well, no, not really. Now, if he doesn't appear in a Grapefruit League game soon, that that answer is going to change pretty rapidly. But in my mind, there was still time for Jack to get involved on Jack's timeline and everything to be okay if the performance looked like it was was good to go. 
And that is kind of what we saw today, in my opinion, on Monday. Jack Flaherty, three innings, gave up one run, only one hit, and had five strikeouts. Feels kind of notable, right? Uh, Really good start to the spring for Jack. A little bit delayed, but my goodness, what that would mean for the Cardinals rotation if they can get Jack Flaherty back. And I talked about this a little bit with Charlie Marlowe on a YouTube video that we did together where I said, you know, Jack to me sort of is over the whole conversation about his 2019, the second half. It's always brought up because that's when he was at his best of his MLB career. But he he mentioned like, okay, the beginning of 2021, check that out. I was pretty solid then as well. And what, what was the common thread there? I was healthy in both situations. That's really what it boils down to for Jack. This is kind of the conversation that he had at winter warmup. And I noticed not to say he was like testy about the answer talking about 2019, but every time he gets asked about coming back from the injury and being dominant again, that 2019 stretch is brought up to him. And I feel like he's ready to just say, look, when I'm healthy, regardless of what year, what the circumstance, when I'm healthy, when I'm right, I am Jack Flaherty. It's not, I got to find that 2019 version of me. It's well, the beginning of 2021, I was a version. Like, I can I can do these things. And I think he's completely right. The Cardinals could certainly use it because, as I've said before, they don't have a starting pitcher with the ceiling, with the upside and the physical abilities penciled into their rotation of Jack Flaherty. They've got one, and it's him. Right? Adam Wainwright, velocity concerns early in spring. Even if he gets over those, he's not going to be doing the things that Jack Flaherty can do. Uh, Michaelis is a workhorse. I I still say Jack Flaherty in terms of the dynamic nature of his stuff and, and the power pitching that he can bring to the table is still a different breed. I think it's Jack Flaherty that, that the Cardinals are relying upon to be that sort of dynamic ace number one type. And if he's healthy, I think he can do that. Another guy that maybe we shouldn't underrate his stuff when healthy, and maybe the reason that we'd be prone to, to doing so is because we haven't seen that yet from this one is, is Steven Matz. Signed with the Cardinals before last season. I think it's $11 million per year, four-year deal, $44 million total. Four mats was supposed to be part of the rotation, get a lefty in that group, and this was before they got Jordan Montgomery, who, by the way, is another guy that very talented, can can be a, a really good pitcher for them. I'm just not sure he's in the Jack Flaherty class either in terms of pure upside and ceiling potential. But talking about mats... Didn't get him healthy last year. It was a leg thing, right? It wasn't even arm-related. So that gives you reason to believe that he might be fine coming into this year. It's not like he's rehabbing an arm injury. He had the MCL tear in the knee. That was the majority of the season that he missed. His numbers weren't good before that, but it was such a small sample size that I'm not writing off Steven Matz based on uh, what he did from you know April to, to early to mid-May, whenever that injury took place. Not super concerned about that. But now we just come into spring, healthy, a real opportunity, I think, to contribute. A rotation spot pretty much on lock as long as he continues to be healthy and and progress normally through the spring. And today, stuff was looking good, right? Like Steven Mass uh, flashing some velocity, mid-90s, maybe pushing 96, 97. Sitting 95, I believe, is kind of what the deal was today. Could be a little mistaken on those numbers, but looking good. Three shutout, hitless, walkless, nothing innings for Steven Matz. Four strikeouts in those three innings. Didn't give up a hit or a walk. Not to get too excited, but like, what would the Cardinals rotation be like if Steven Matz uh, was the guy that they thought they were getting when they signed him last year, right? 
Like there are questions about the Cardinals rotation. I think you could look at everybody on it and say, well, he's had injuries in the past few years, or I'm worried about this aspect of his performance or whatever the case might be. But some of those situations could break in the right direction. And Steven Matz is one where I think he's sort of an afterthought in the minds of some fans. But if he were to establish himself this season as a guy who was getting paid $11 million because the Cardinals thought that he could be good and they went out and, and targeted him very early in the process and free agency. Remember, they signed him before that lockout. They knew December 1st was going to be the lockout last year, and so they wanted to make sure to get him locked into their rotation before that, knowing that after the lockout it could end up being a mad scramble, and it was. But I bring that up to just share, like the Cardinals thought highly of this guy, and it did, did not work out last year. Very definitively did not have a good season and then was injured a lost year, a lost $11 million. But Steven Matz had solid numbers prior to 2022, and that's why the Cardinals brought him in. So maybe he could be a boost for this rotation. The Cardinals would certainly take that. And then I, I would say if he ends up exceeding expectations, you might be able to look at the rotation in its entirety a little bit differently. Here's another guy for whom expectations are low. I'm going to say his name, and you're going to groan. But I'm saying give him a second chance, and that's Drew Verhagen. I don't know what to expect from him. I don't even know if he's going to get a roster spot. But they're paying him. We know that. It was a two-year deal. That's why he's back. You might say, why is he even on the roster? Well, when the Cardinals signed him, it was a two-year contract. And this year was guaranteed anyway. Not a ton of money, a few million bucks, two or three million bucks. But remember, he came into last spring hoping to have a chance to start. John Mozilla had told him when they signed him from overseas. Remember, he was a guy who had pitched in the big leagues, couldn't really catch on, went overseas, did well there, and the Cardinals signed him to be sort of a you know hybrid type of guy. He could start for them. He could be in the bullpen if they need. Verhagen was told at the time he's going to have a chance to start. Obviously, last year was a struggle. He was constantly injured. He pitched poorly. It was a disaster. But they're paying him anyway, and so they he's at spring training. They didn't cut him. They didn't have any upside to cutting him. You might as well see what's in the tank for him. And I don't know. If he's healthy, I think there could be a situation where Drew Verhagen surprises people this year. I tweeted out a few weeks ago when, maybe even less than that, because this was since I returned from Jupiter. Uh, I think John Denton had a, a video on there of Verhagen facing Jordan Walker, and I think he struck him out. I don't know if it was swinging, but he, he had a, a good at-bat from the pitching side against Jordan Walker. And I said, Druver, Cy Young, I call him Druver on Twitter, capital V. Druver, Cy Young season incoming, and y'all just don't know it yet. That's what I tweeted. Uh, do I think he's going to win the Cy Young? No. Do I think he could be a lot better than maybe people give him credit for? Yes. And I first had this thought back at winter warm-up when he talked during his media session there, and you kind of realized the extent of the injuries that he went through last year. He said, I finally feel like myself again. And I asked him this question because it kind of dawned on me in the moment, like, Man, how bad must it suck for Drew Verhagen to not really catch on in MLB, so he goes overseas, has some success, and then when an MLB team signs him, the fan base is obviously unfamiliar with his game because he was overseas, and a whole new team, a whole new organization, a whole new fan base, and he's trying to make an impression on that group, and during that season, he just so happens to be woefully injured every step of the way. How frustrating must that be? And so I asked Drew Verhagen sort of along those lines, like, all right, you came back and you know what your talent level is. You know what you're capable of. But how difficult was it to have that exposure to a new group of fans, a new teammates, new organization, everything? 
and have that be a time where you struggle with health. And he said, yeah, that was tough, understandably. So I, I felt for the human of Drew Hagen a little bit there. And I said, you know, let's give this guy a chance because if he's healthy, like everything sort of clicks and can make sense from a physical perspective. You look at him, he's a domineering presence. He throws hard, uh, has some interesting off-speed stuff, secondary pitches. I don't know that it's going to work out for Verhagen. And like I said, they may not even give him a roster spot because it may be one of those deals where, hey, we have no reason not to invite him to spring, but if he doesn't blow us away, we might just eat the money. You know, is that possible? The Cardinals could be thinking that internally. I don't know. But also, I think when you look at the competition and the different guys they have for roles uh, from the right side of the bullpen, if he looks good in spring like he did today, did on Monday, had an inning pitched, uh, did walk a guy but struck out two, I think he could be interesting. So keep an eye on Drew Verhagen. Don't write him off just yet. I know probably everybody already did last year. I'm a little bit intrigued. I'm not trying to say Cy Young. I'm not trying to say he's going to be a starter at any point. It looks like he's ticketed for a bullpen role if he can 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 crack his way in. But I just think it's an interesting guy to keep an eye on that if he ends up helping the Cardinals have the bullpen this year, I would not personally be surprised. Um, and maybe that puts me on an island a little bit, but... Um, I'm not trying to say anything too inflammatory, honestly. It's it, it's just very simply, I think maybe he just had some really bad luck last year and the reasons that the Cardinals signed him originally, maybe those manifest this year. It'll be interesting to see, but keep an eye on Druver, especially after his solid outing on Monday. And then Ting Hens is another guy that pitched on Monday. We saw Chris Stratton, too. Um, don't have a lot of thoughts about him. He was scoreless in his uh, one inning, but gave up a couple of hits. But Tink Hens has a really good-looking curveball, breaking ball that he used a couple of times to, to garner some strikeouts. I believe the pitching ninja uh, caught on to that from Tink Hens as well and, and put some of those uh, those videos on, on Twitter. So that was kind of cool to see for the 20-year-old prospect. Uh, he's a little bit further behind in his development because the Cardinals, he was part of that same Jordan Walker-Mason win draft class in 2020 when only it only had five rounds. But they kind of went very slowly with his development because he was you know teenager- and on the pitching side, you want to be very careful. Kids at that age coming in out of prep baseball have not thrown a ton of innings in a given year. And so the Cardinals basically were very, very limiting to Tink Hens early on just to try to get his feet under him, get him acclimated to what life as a professional looked like. I mean, they were very, very slow with him. And also, that was kind of around the same time when you got rid of like the state college spikes in Johnson City and all those uh, rookie ball leagues that used to exist and now they don't anymore. You kind of had just the Florida complex league and that's where he stayed for all of 2021. His baseball reference page shows eight games, eight innings in total for him that year. He had a nine ERA, but that was again, just getting his feet wet as an 18 year old. I guess in 2020, he would have been 17 when they drafted him out of high school, which is possible because I graduated high school at 17. So he's he's just getting his feet wet, and then he goes to A-ball, which I believe was low A, Palm Beach, last season, 2022, the first real legitimate professional taste he got. ERA of 1.38 at age 19. And again, even at low A, the average age is 22. So he was minus three off of the average age of his competition there at low A. Didn't pitch a ton, 52 and a third innings. Bought a 1.38 ERA and had 81 strikeouts in those 52 innings. So Tink Hens, he's kind of like a slight build, like a like a Marcus Stroman, Mike Leak when you look at him. But it comes out clean, man. He's got good mechanics. He looks good. He throws hard. It was hitting, you know, mid to upper 90s today on the, the stadium gun there from what I saw. 
really interesting and, and, and burst onto the scene last year. They mentioned, Brad Thompson mentioned on the broadcast today, like maybe he starts the year at double A. I would pump the brakes on that. I think he probably starts at high A, maybe Peoria, because he's never even played there yet. Uh, it used to be Peoria was low A and Palm Beach was high A. They, they have since flipped those around uh, to where Palm Beach down there at uh, down in Florida is the low A level. That's where Tink Kent's was in 2022. 1.380 RA in 52 innings with 81 Ks. That's something. And then he went to the Fall League as well. And there at the Arizona Fall League, you're playing against guys that are double AA, A, triple A, you know, some of the best in, in minor leagues. 2.16 ERA in eight and a third innings for Tink Kent's. He just gave up a couple of earned runs and had nine strikeouts. So the stuff jumps off the page. He could be a guy that makes some rapid rises through the system this year. If he starts at... I assume he'll graduate from low A. He'll go to at least high A, but he could be certainly to Springfield or beyond by the end of the season. But keep an eye on the innings. Like, future starter, I hope, because when you draft guys that early in in, in that draft, you hope anybody you get can end up being helpful to you. And the Cardinals picked up Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn. So uh, if Tim Kens is the third stud from that draft, uh, what a draft by Randy Flores and company back in some difficult circumstances in 2020. But Tim Kens... I think they're just going to have to be a little bit careful again with his innings. Had 60 innings, I guess, between the Fall League and Low A last year. If they get him up to 80 to 90 maybe this year, would they go to 100? It's going to be a slow progression for him. So don't expect to see Team Kent in the major leagues anytime soon unless they shift him to a reliever, which I hope they don't do because there is always more value to being a top-notch starting pitcher than a top-notch reliever just because of the amount of impact you can have on, on games and a season as a starter versus as a reliever. But really like what Tim Kentz is showing. He's showing that the moment's not too big for him down there in Jupiter, down at the big league camp, getting into Grapefruit League games. Um, you know, that's a kid who at 17 is drafted and then has a lot of growing to do and learning to do about about the world because he's so darn young. Same with Mason, same with Jordan Walker. But I think Tim Kentz is coming along really nicely. It's just you haven't heard maybe quite as much about him yet because of the innings limitations they've uh, I think rightfully placed on him when he was still a teenager, but now 20 years old coming into this season, um, going to be really interesting to see what Tink Hens can do. So keep an eye on keep an eye on him. That's kind of what I have for today. I want to talk about some of those pitchers. Wanted to talk about the hitters that we discussed. That's all I've got for you for this edition of B Shape Daily. Make sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple, please, and uh, check out YouTube as well. This one won't be on YouTube, but I'm going to start doing videos uh, when I when I can muster it, and uh, you'll be able to consume the podcast that way. And so uh, Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer, is, I believe, my uh, my YouTube. But you can find it on Twitter. It's just YouTube.com slash at bshafer12, I believe, to get to the YouTube. So appreciate you guys, as always. And we'll talk to you next time, which is going to be sooner. There won't be a big layoff like last time, I promise, on Shape Daily. Peace.